0: Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for December 8th, 2017. Eight-game NBA slate, but it's going to kind of be smaller than eight. Well, it's not actually smaller than eight games, but it feels smaller than eight games because I think there's just a lot of fade spots for this slate. So first game for Matt and I to talk about, Golden State Warriors at the Detroit Pistons. For the Warriors, Steph Curry still out. Obviously, he's going to be out for a while. Draymond Green has been upgraded to probable, so we could expect him to play. Uh, everybody's been priced up a little bit now. Draymond Green's at 7700 He was cheaper before the Curry injury. Durant's gone up to 10700 after his triple-double last game. I still think he's a fine play, but there's a chance that there's other guys that I think are better to pay up for, kind of depending on how some of the other injuries shake out. Uh, I think Clay Thompson at 7300 is my favorite play from the Warrior side of the game he also gets a similar type usage boost that Kevin Durant gets but last game it was Durant who had the really big fantasy total and Clay just kind of had a mediocre game so Durant has seen a much bigger increase in price than Clay has and i also expect him to have more ownership from the Detroit side of the game we have Andre Drummond's pretty expensive now at 9400 i think there's going to be better guys to pay up for on the slate um Reggie Jackson's fine at 5,800. I think Tobias Harris is in play at 6,300. And 5,300 is really cheap for Avery Bradley, so I think that he's a decent play. This is a big pace-up spot for the Pistons.
1: Well, I think it normally is a big pace-up spot for the Pistons, but it's definitely a lower pace than the Warriors normally play out because Steph Curry's not there. So we do have to kind of bump that down a bit. It's still a pace-up spot, but the Warriors over-unders have been about four to five points lower in games where Steph Curry hasn't played And I guess it's kind of hard to tell exactly what the number should be because in a lot of those games where Curry hasn't played, there have been other Warriors players who also haven't played. I think this is one of the only ones where of the Warriors, I guess, big four players, Curry is the only one that's out. So it's a pace up game for sure, but maybe it only really benefits Reggie Jackson, who faces what probably is weaker defense from Quinn Cook and Sean Livingston. I think Jackson is my favorite Pistons player. And yeah, I agree. Drummond's too expensive. Uh, for the Warriors, though, and using Durant—well, I agree with you on Clay Thompson. I think he is my favorite Warriors player to use, especially in GPPs where Durant's going to be higher-owned. But I guess we kind of have to jump ahead to the other games to really have a clear understanding of what we're doing with Durant. Because, for instance, with Anthony Davis uh, in the Pelicans game, we kind of need to know if he's playing or not to determine if Durant is the best guy to pay up for. Because if Davis is out, then it's probably DeMarcus Cousins— So, yeah, uh, apologies to everyone for going out of order here, but I think it really does depend a lot for Durant on whether or not we're using a lot of DeMarcus Cousins, and that depends on if Anthony Davis plays. So there's a lot of contingencies here, like always with injuries, but I think there's a big trickle-down effect for Anthony Davis specifically and how that impacts everything on the slate.
0: Yeah, definitely, I agree. And then there's some other injuries that we'll hit on as we go through the game, so Next one is the Cavs at the Pacers. I think LeBron at 11,700. He's probably my favorite guy to pay up for if Anthony Davis plays. I think that the point expect. Uh, I think the expected points for LeBron become the highest of any player on the slate in that matchup against the Pacers, if uh, Cousins has to play with Davis. Uh, Kevin Love a little too expensive for me, 8,500. Nobody else. Am I really? ever interested in from the Cavs. From the Pacers' side of the game, Depot, he's too expensive for me now. And then something else to watch out for, Miles Turner, somebody who I always talk about as a good GPP play. Questionable to play with a calf injury. If he isn't able to play, then there's a lot of value on Demontis Sabonis, who started in place of Turner earlier in the year and was really good. Um, in a plus matchup against the Cavs, just below 6,000, he would be a really strong play.
1: So trying to figure out how Miles Turner impacts the whole game has kind of been a hard thing for us, I think. And in a lot of the games where he hasn't played, he's been a game-time decision or questionable or whatever. We haven't known his status until right before games. So I've been trying to track the over-unders in the Vegas line movement to figure out how Vegas is accounting for Turner potentially missing games for when he plays. And since the announcements are always so late, it's really hard to tell so I really, I don't know what it does to LeBron's upside or downside if Turner plays or doesn't play. But it, it definitely makes sense that DeMontis Sabonis is the guy that benefits a lot. I still think that Turner as an interior presence, as a shot blocker, makes it harder for LeBron. So if he doesn't play, I guess maybe the Pacers play a little slower, but also they're worse on defense. That's probably uh, a net positive uh, for LeBron. That's
0: definitely true, because I actually—I just brought up Miles Turner's on-off-court numbers. The Pacers are giving up 104 points per 100 possessions with Turner on the floor this year, and 113 per 100 possessions with him off the floor. So they're way worse on defense when he's not there.
1: But then also, a lot of that is because he plays with the starting lineup, which includes Victor Oladipo. That's probably the main reason they're good at defense while Turner's on the court. That might oversell how drastic the impact is, but it does seem like there's at least some substantial impact, even if it's not a nine points per 100 possessions impact.
0: Yeah, I I do think also that just based on the athleticism of Turner, he's a much better defender than DeMontis Sabonis. There isn't a ton of sample size on Sabonis because he's really only been... Well, he was terrible last year when he was on the Thunder. And then we only have a few games with him playing significant minutes this year. So
1: um, I, I think,
0: I yeah, think at on. least by the eye test, Turner's a much better defensive player than Sabonis is.
1: So the player who might benefit more directly, and then I guess we'll move on to the next game, but how do you think this affects Kevin Love specifically, if it's Turner or if it's Sabonis? Because I would guess that's the person who's guarding Kevin Love, whichever, whichever of those guys is starting.
0: It helps him a lot. He's just too expensive for me, and there's always the risk that Tyronn Lue just decides, oh, Kevin Love only plays 25 minutes this game because he scored 30 points in the first quarter, so that's that's something that happens. I don't know why, but there have been a bunch of Kevin Love games where he'll score like 25 points in the first quarter, and then he takes two shots the rest of the game, or he doesn't play the third quarter. Just really weird things seem to happen with Kevin Love a lot, so he's somebody who I generally just avoid for cash games, and at his current price, I don't think there's a ton of upside, and there's just so much downside, so... He's not somebody I'll be targeting. Next game on the slate Denver Nuggets at the Orlando Magic. This should be a really high scoring game. And the other injury news we have here Evan Fournier is out with, uh, I think it's, was it a calf injury? No, he sprained his ankle late in overtime against the Hawks last game and had to come out with, like, I think it was about 45 seconds or so left. He's doubtful on the injury report, not expected to play tomorrow. So we are going to see more ball-handling responsibility for Alfred Payton. Jonathan Simmons figures to play a ton at 5,600, and this is a plus matchup for him. Uh, Aaron Gordon to 8,400. Matt and I were kind of talking about him before. So this is a really, really good matchup for Gordon. I just think that price is a little bit too high for me to pay. Gordon's only scored over 40 fantasy points four times this year, or he's only hit – what is it, 42 fantasy points four times this year, which is what he needs to hit value. I know he's had a couple of really ridiculous games. He had one game around 70 points or so, and then he had uh, uh, like another 60-point game. But I think 8,400 is a bit too much for me. There's other guys I'd rather go to. Definitely for the Magic, I prefer Peyton and Simmons for their price. From the Denver side of the game, I think there's a lot of decent plays here. Will Barton at 6,900 is reasonable. Gary Harris at 6,400. Kenneth Freed and Mason Plumley, I think there's a good chance one of them has a good game, and they're both below 5,000. I wouldn't target either of them in cash games, because I just don't know which one it's going to be. They've kind of alternated minutes, and neither of them are playing a ton. Last game, I think that Mason Plumley was setting up to be the guy, but he fouled out in only 22 minutes guarding DeMarcus Cousins, so that really impacted his upside. So I lean a little bit more towards Plumley than Free, but I think both are okay as GPP plays.
1: So we're definitely on the same page that Aaron Gordon's $8,400 price tag is too much generally, but I do think he's usable just because the matchup here is so strong. And even though he doesn't really hit value, at the same time he also has had a few games this year where he's showed tremendous upside. So for GPPs at least, I think he's worth considering. And then also because this is a really strong game stack spot, it's got about the highest total on the slate. I think it actually has the exact same number as the Cavs-Pacers game at 218. Um, the game should be close. The Magic are one-and-a-half-point favorites. And without Millsap and Jokic playing, the Nuggets are just terrible defensively. Well, I guess Millsap hurts their defense when he's out, and then Jokic being out hurts also hurts their rebounding. Both of them being out means that terrible defenders like Mason Plumley and Kenneth Fareed have to play. So it's a really strong matchup for Gordon and for Vucevic. But I I still think that Alfred Payton and Jonathan Simmons, partly because Fournier is out, partly because of the matchup, and then I guess to a very small degree because Terrence Ross is still out, I think those guys are the stronger plays. But I think you could game stack here and use Simmons and Payton and either Gordon or Vucevic with a couple of those Nuggets guys, maybe one of Fareed or Plumlee, and then guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton and maybe Jamal Murray. But I think it's kind of just those guys. I think that makes a pretty solid core for a game stack.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I see that angle. Uh, I do think it's going to be a really high scoring game. I just wonder with the price of some of those guys, like Vucevic, 8,100, Aaron Gordon, at 8,400, even if it is a really high, like 120 to 115 game, I, I still question what the upside is on those guys at those price tags, especially when uh, if you're looking at, say, uh, like, Kevin Durant at 10,700. You need like uh 11 more fantasy points from Kevin Durant than Aaron Gordon at 8400. And I just think that that's to me that's just a better play.
1: Yeah, I think so too, but I guess it's more for the correlation. So I'll I'll leave it at this. I have zero interest in Aaron Gordon outside of a full game stack because I don't think there's a ton of value on him independently. But I do think Peyton and Simmons and potentially Freed and Plumlee, those guys are all definitely in play in any lineup combination. I think they're all, there's independent value on any of them, and especially Peyton and Simmons. I think those could be two of the higher-owned players for both of us on this slate.
0: All right, next game, Chicago Bulls, Charlotte Hornets. We have some injuries from the Hornets' side of the game. None of them are really significant in the grand scheme of things. It's Cody Zeller, knee injury, out indefinitely. It looks like he's gonna be out for a couple months or so looking for treatment options. And then we have Frank Kaminsky sprained ankle. He's gonna be out. So neither one of them huge players for the Hornets. However, it does open up some playing time that's gonna create value. So Marvin Williams is only 3,900, and I think that he could end up playing mid-30s amount of minutes, so he makes for a good value play. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist at four thousand. I think that they're going to have to use him a little bit more in some small ball lineups. Johnny O'Brien three thousand off the bench is probably going to be the guy who goes who takes a lot of uh, what Zeller's minutes were. So Johnny O'Brien, I don't really look at him as like a strong value play at three thousand. But if you're looking for like a really deep GPP play, I think that he has some upside at three thousand. He's a pretty good per minute producer. Uh, he's Scoring about a fantasy point per minute, eight point seven fantasy points in nine minutes per game this year. So if he gets to say twenty minutes, then I mean then we'd have him somewhere around 18-19 fantasy points, which is a decent result for somebody at three thousand, especially when there aren't any like really good cheap like uh, total punt plays on the slate. So I think he can make some sense. And then from the Bulls side of the game, uh, Chris Dunn at five thousand eight hundred is a decent play to me, and then there's just nobody else who I really want to roster on the Bulls.
1: I'll mention the Vegas line movement here because it's it seems to be the most significant of any game. So the Bulls have actually gone from 11-point underdogs to 9-point underdogs already uh, the night before the game, which is pretty significant. And I think it's because of those two Hornets injuries. With Kaminsky, well, mostly because of Zeller because he's the better player. But then I think there's kind of a compound effect where you're missing two bench big men And the Hornets probably will have to play more small ball or more of Johnny O'Brien, who I guess isn't a very good real-life player. The Bulls probably have a pretty good chance to keep this game close. The initial 11-point spread indicated a lot of blowout risk. Now at 9 points, it's still some. But I think this line will probably continue to fall. And because the Bulls can keep the game closer, I think it makes it easier to roster the Hornets' core players. I don't think you have to worry about guys like Kemba Walker and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Marvin Williams, Nick Batum, even Dwight Howard. I don't think you have to worry too much about them not getting their fourth quarter minutes because they're going to dominate the Bulls. This isn't really a good Hornets roster right now because of the lack of depth. So I think, I don't know, I wouldn't game stack because there's just not a lot of guys to like from the Bulls. And there's only really a few guys to like from the Hornets. But it makes everyone kind of more viable. And I think that helps at least a little bit. And there also just aren't a ton of options on this slate. So that bonus, I think, is one of the rare ones that we have from any of these games where most of them just kind of only have a couple players to choose from.
0: All right, next game, Kings at Pelicans. And it's hard to make too much of an opinion on this because Anthony Davis is questionable with his uh, left abductor strain, pelvis injury. I'm not really sure what an abductor is, but Anthony Davis, questionable. If he doesn't play, then the big usage bump for DeMarcus Cousins, usage bump for Drew Holiday... Rajan Rondo more involved. Etwan more big usage bump, but we kind of are in the holding pattern, waiting to see if Anthony Davis plays or not. And then from the Kings side of the game, Zach Randolph, I think there's value in his price tag at 5,900. Willie Qually Stein is out with back injury. Scalabissier is gone. And then another guy who's potentially interesting here is Jakar Sampson started at center for the Kings last game, and he ended up playing 33 minutes. 6.16 rebounds. If Sampson starts again, then I think that he's a pretty good value play.
1: So do you think it's realistic that the Kings could start Jakar Sampson and Zach Randolph in the front court against DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis? And if they don't start Sampson, I mean, who do they even have to match up with New Orleans? This seems like, even though it's a, it's usually kind of a bad thing to be playing against Sacramento because of the blowout risk and because of the slow pace, if they go small ball, the pace probably picks up a bit. And that makes most of uh, the Pelicans guys more viable. And if Davis sits, then there's less blowout risk too. So I actually think you could use Cousins with Randolph with Sampson. Some of those other Pelicans guys might be a little overpriced, but yeah. How how can the Kings possibly match up with the with the Pelicans? Is it Costa Kufis? Is he the guy who ends up playing?
0: Yeah, I have no clue. Um, like, I think you also have to throw out logic when it comes to the Kings and what they do. They play Vince Carter in garbage time with blowouts.
1: Oh, so you're saying so, there's a chance Costa Kufis ends up playing big minutes at this in this game?
0: No, I think that there's a chance that they start George Hill at center. I think that <laughs> I think that nothing they do makes any sense. And I hope we get a starting lineup for them before the game. It could be Jakar Sampson. It could be not Jakar Sampson. Maybe it's Costa Kufis who starts. But I I don't really have any strong feelings about who the starting lineup is going to be. And I think it could change depending on whether Anthony Davis is in or out. But I do definitely think that Zach Randolph is going to be a strong value play no matter what.
1: So if we're comparing the expensive players on the slate, if Anthony Davis sits and you're choosing between Cousins and Durant and LeBron, I know you already said LeBron over Durant, but it seems like Cousins is someone who should be in every single lineup you have if Davis is not playing. And we haven't even mentioned uh, the uh, I, I revenge say, narrative yet. I would say yet. every single lineup, just because his price has gone up. And I would still want some
0: exposure to LeBron. So I, I don't think it's likely that I'm going to be locking in any of the expensive guys. Not like like I locked in Russell Westbrook tonight. I locked in Cousins the night before. One of those worked out well. One of them didn't work well. Um But I don't think that there's going to be a lock expensive guy on this slate unless something like really crazy happens before the game starts tomorrow.
1: So I said this to you before we started, but if there's any player in the NBA that cares about playing against his former team, it's got to be DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, his personality is perfectly suited for taking more shots because he's playing against the Kings and wants to show them up. I feel like there's got to be some boost there. He'll definitely be really highly owned if Davis is out. He was going to be anyway, but especially so for this matchup. And without Cauley-Stein and LeBissier there, it's just it's a stronger matchup. I mean, this is it's not as good of a spot as he had against the Nuggets, but I think it's close.
0: He would definitely be my highest-owned player in that situation. So he would be my highest-owned stud above LeBron, above Durant. I'm just saying that I wouldn't be 100% on
1: him. All right, and thank, thank you for the clarification.
0: I think I think the other guy who probably cares a lot about playing his former teams would be uh, I'll, I'll go Nick Young. I think he's the other guy who just come in. But also, Nick Young's been on like forty teams. There's thirty teams in the NBA. And Nick Young's been on all of them plus ten extra ones. So
1: Greg uses Nick Young on every slate. It sounds like uh, you didn't mention hard, him though. It's hard,
0: it's hard. It's hard when he doesn't go into the games ever. though.
1: that's that's true. It's contingent on him actually being on the court. I guess that's why you didn't mention him when we talked about the Warriors game, right?
0: Amongst other reasons, yeah. Um, so just a few games left. The last three games on the slate are really uninteresting games. Uh, I think that there are a couple usable guys, but uh, Raptors, Grizzlies, maybe Marcus in a couple lineups. But this is going to be a pretty slow-paced game. Two good defensive teams. I don't really like this game for DFS purposes. What say you, Matt?
1: Yeah, I don't like it either. The total open at 201, it's actually gone up to 202. Not as low as I thought it would be. I guess the Raptors have played it a little bit faster of a pace. Um, and, the, th-
0: and the players are still kind of priced up for it. Like, they don't have much of a discount versus the regular prices.
1: Yeah, that that's the bigger problem because the matchup is really difficult, and if the players were priced down for the matchup, then sure, it might be more viable to use them. But yeah, everyone's just too expensive, and maybe you could have a 210-plus point game. I don't think it's out of the question. But it's not, like you got to, you, it's not like there's a ton of upside, even if that happens. All right, next game,
0: Bucks-Mavs. So, I mean, Giannis, if you really like Giannis, and there's always reason to like Giannis, I think that he's still fine to Rossner's matchup. I prefer the other high-priced guys that we mentioned. So, I don't think I'm going to have much Giannis exposure, if at all, for the slate. And then... Nobody else I really think is a great play. Wes Matthews at 4200 I think that he's usable. He always has upside at that cheap of a price. And then John Henson's been getting more minutes recently. So him at 4500 I think is usable. But once again, nothing that I really think is super strong plays. Just guys who it's like if you need a roster somebody, this guy's acceptable.
1: Yeah, I think Giannis will definitely be the lowest owned of all the players that are priced around him. But there's good reason for that. It's a pace down game, even slower than what the Bucks normally play. The total for this game is at 201, two pretty slow teams. So I think it's it's very easy to just use no one. Wes Matthews, yeah, there's, there's a lot of variance in him because he's kind of relying on defensive stats, but more so it's the three-pointers. And players who are getting all of their offense from threes just – tend to be streakier just because of the way the three-pointers work. They're a low-probability shot, so you could happen to make a lot of them in a game. You could happen to make none of them in a game. And Wes Matthews always has upside for that reason. He's really cheap, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. If there don't end up being a lot of value plays on the slate, which it kind of looks like that's going to be the case, then Matthews should make it into some lineups. But aside from that, it, it's yeah, it's, it's a bad game.
0: All right, last game is the Celtics at the Spurs. For the Celtics, both Jalen Brown and Marcus Morris are questionable to play. And for the Spurs, Joffrey Laverne is questionable. Joffrey Laverne is somebody who I normally wouldn't bring up as questionable. But the reason it has some significance is with Rudy Gay now in the starting lineup in place of Kyle Anderson, in previous games when Laverne has been out, they've used Rudy Gay as the backup center. If Gay is in the starting lineup, which we know he is, I think that means if Laverne's out, Pau Gasol probably is more minute security than he usually has. And is only down at 5,300, I think Gasol would be a pretty solid GPP play if there's no Laverne. I look Rudy Gay for cash games and GPP, no matter what, at 5,200 as a starter. And then for the Celtics, it's kind of hard to determine what is a decent value play without knowing the status of Jalen Brown and Marcus Morris.
1: So if we assume that Brown and Morris were out, Terry Rogier is the obvious beneficiary. Would you use Marcus Smart? He's coming off one of the worst fantasy games that anyone's had all season in a really good spot for him.
0: One of the worst fantasy games ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, he actually, he. I think it's fair to say he had the worst DFS first half of a game that anyone's ever had. He had three turnovers and no other stats in the first half of the game for negative one and a half points on DraftKings. I I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do that poorly. But I do think that Smart would be usable if the Celtics are missing both of those guys even if Morris plays and Brown doesn't, I still think Marcus Smart is in play. But Rogier would be the stronger bet. We just kind of have to see what happens. And then I definitely agree with you on Rudy Gay. Uh, now that he's starting, he should cost more. And he just, he hasn't been priced up yet. So Rudy Gay, Pau Gasol. I think Gasol is usable even if, um, even if Laverne is playing. I'm not sure if it's because Kyle Anderson's out. I guess that has some impact, but Gasol also, we were talking about this on the last podcast, he just, he's too cheap on basically every slate, and I guess part of that is because of blowout risk, but there isn't really well, any in personally,
0: I have not rostered how Gasol wants this entire season.
1: But he actually has hit value, I mean, I don't have in front of me the percentage of the time that every player hits value, but Gasol hits value way more often than he doesn't. And he has hit value by a large amount many times, too. Um, looking at his game log, I mean,
0: he—he's done it forty-eight percent of his games so far this year. Are you um, counting?
1: Okay, I have to—I have to scroll down further, I guess. Let's no, but
0: he's—he's overall—he's been good this year. The well, it's—it's forty-eight it's percent at his current price. Um, so he's been gotcha. Good this
1: well, year. hold on, that—that—that that, that is relevant though, because Gasol was priced in the six thousands for a good portion of the season. He's at fifty-three hundred now which is close to the cheapest he's been all year. I think he's only been below that in three other games.
0: Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the issue with Gasol has just been the minutes are way down recently. If you look at his last few games, uh, 16 minutes, 28 minutes, 20 minutes. And then going back, he had a 28 to 34, but then 24, 25, 18 minutes. So his minutes go up and down all the time. That's really the main reason I don't roster him. I just feel that there's almost always guys who I think are better value plays than him. But for me, I just think that if Laverne is going to be out, I think it's almost inevitable that we see Gasol play a heavier minutes load.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. If Laverne's out, then we have that minutes security for Gasol that we don't normally have. I guess you'd kind of be guessing if Gasol's going to get the minutes or not if Laverne's there. But if, if he's out and Anderson's out, then they kind of have to rely on Gasol more. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably with you. I would only really use him if uh, the Spurs are dealing with those front court injuries. But Rudy Gay, either way, is the strongest play on the team.
0: All right, that's going to wrap up today's podcast. Hopefully everybody has a good weekend. You can follow me on Twitter at DFS and Matt's Twitter handle is at preachingsense.